Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Baker's Comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Your host, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to the show. This time, well, it's not like next time, but this time, it's part two of the 70s Clone Saga. So, no healthy preamble will follow the email section this week. Okay. No, one of my long winded introductions that I love writing. Do you? Not got one of them this week. So we're just carrying straight out from where we left off last week. You know what we should have done? But it would have mixed up our our relationship, release relationship. Yeah. We should have just recorded all three of these and just stitched them together as a big, long episode. We should have recorded them and edited them as normal. Right. And instead of releasing it weekly, just throw them all out as a, a triple-length episode instead of every three weeks. Okay. But then we wouldn't be able to boast we have done an episode every single week since we started, would we? Yeah. Pros and cons. Mm -hmm. You awake? I am awake. Excellent. Good. (laughs) Just just making sure. I fell asleep editing, but I'm awake now. (laughs) Yes. How did that go? Did you you get them finished in timely fashion? I did. Forever Evil episodes. Forever Evil? No, Seven Souls episodes. I did, actually. Every single one was, was, was finished with enough time for me to listen to them and make sure everything was okay with it. They were done on time. Yeah. By which you mean they were finished on Wednesday night that they went up on Thursday morning. On time. <laughs> oh dear. Are you one of those people that like, well, that way you can't edit it? That way you can't change my artistic vision? Not, not really. It's, there's no Jim Lee in me. No, is there not? No. no okay. I should hope not, anyway. Should we do some emails? Let's. Because we've not done anything this week, have we? No. Not, nothing comic related, anyway. Went to the Doctor Exhibition in Cardiff. That was fun. Okay. That was good. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Just had a little shop at the end. Like a little shop. Love a little shop. Cost a lot of money. Got Tom Baker's autograph! From Tom Baker. Well, he wasn't actually there. Oh. Which is a shame. So Tom Baker's autograph and Stan Lee's autograph in the same month. But you only met one of them. I only met one. Well, I'm not likely to meet Tom Baker. And uh, you didn't come. I didn't. No. Because you're a big old bore. That's not what I said. <laughs> I said, I no, go, you didn't say, I'm a big old bore. I said, I go to the Doctor Who exhibition, I'm just not all that bothered about whales. Anyway, shall we do some emails uh, about this show? Okay. Our show. This one. No one else's show. No one else's show. It'd be a bit weird of us reading emails for from, someone else's from show. Private emails for other people. You know, say like you've got three podcasts going on, it'd be a bit funny if you mixed up your emails from which podcast you did. It would very much. So were I to read Chris Franklin's fantastic cast email... Yeah. That would just be confusing. It, it, it would. So we will not do that one. We will not. On this show, I will forward that one to Mr. Lacey for him to read when he returns from the foreign lands that he is investigating, <laughs> which is France. And we will do an email from Jason Trenner mm-hmm. because that's about this show. Yes. Not about any other show. Just ours. Just ours. Getting caught up. What in? 
our show. Ah, good. good. Well, we approve of that. <laughs> I mean, if there's any bondage going on, we want it to be involving us. Uh, I hope not. Maybe not no, in that no. way. Okay. Hi, guys. Been marathon listening to a bunch of episodes. Oh, God. I always don't know how to take that. I always think of people getting a little bit sick. Uh, why did you fall behind in the first place? Is the question that I want to ask. Maybe they were waiting for us to... Finish a complete arc. Yes. So they could watch it all in one big clump. Yes. Pure, unadulterated genius. <laughs> that's what they were waiting for. If, if that's what we're calling it. Yeah. They would be very disappointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Enjoyed the coverage of Hush, Forever Evil and Legends. Excellent. Thank you, Jason. And then next email... <laughs> no, no, he carries on. That's, that's, that's not all there is to it. I feel I didn't miss anything going with Paul Dini's Hush stories, far superior to the original material, and even covered how Bruce Wayne could still be seen in Gotham when Batman was in a time and space road trip. Did they? How did that happen? I don't remember. Uh, well, Return of Bruce Wayne. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember Return of Bruce Wayne. I don't remember how the Detective Comics stories were panning out at the same time. It was, to go it was Dick Grayson, wasn't it? Was it? It should have been. It's Dick Grayson in the Black Mirror, which I read this week. Yeah. Because it was 199 on Comicsology. By all accounts, mm-hmm. the best-selling one of those... Yeah. Guess which one it was. Which one? They had Hush, Year One, Dark Knight right. Returns, Killing Joke, Black Mirror, and a couple of others. I'm going to say this a trick question. Was it not Killing Joke? No, it was not the Killing Joke. The best-selling one of those, and thus by default, the best Batman story ever was... Hush. Exact amount. So, obviously... All the people who rushed to Comixology to spend their £1.99, yeah. excellent price, by the way, on a, a selection of graphic novels that DC had for sale, well worth one ninety nine. and I'm a guy who liked print, Yeah, but even I couldn't resist one ninety nine. they ignored everything we said, <laughs> and went and bought Hush. What, can, what can you do? You know, it's, it's just bang my head against this table in disgust. Anyway, Jason continues. The thing with Wonder Woman's lasso was covered in the Steve Trevor miniseries for Forever Evil. Steve Trevor had his own miniseries. Yeah. Wow. He had his own ongoing. Isn't that like giving Steve Lombard his own miniseries? Steve Trevor is a very well-written and structured supporting cast member. Is he really? Exactly. So is he, is he not good as a, a lead? His, his ongoing was cancelled. Ah. That explains it. And the We're Better Than the Justice League Stormwatch was a complete no-show for Forever Evil, though they were in the middle of a rebooted, more or less, mess as the collective had altered reality. To be honest, I felt Trinity War and Forever Evil were total crap, marketing to retailers at its worst, in my opinion. I don't remember Trinity War. All I remember about Trinity War yeah. was getting to the end of it and hurling the comic, and you went, what are you doing? Because that's my comic! And I went, this doesn't end! It's another story that leads into another story! Bored of it! And I got quite irate. I, I liked it. Didn't I? I did. But I, that clouded my overall judgement of it, and I've never gone back and reread it, obviously. Fair enough. Uh, that just, you just come to expect that kind of thing, though. Yeah, alright, fair enough. As for Legend, I feel the only tie-in, even vaguely, that needed to be read was the end of the Detroit-era Justice League. Well, maybe as I went with just a trade, like you did. And I felt that Robin in the story was Dick Grayson. Then again, given it was a pre-crisis, Dick Grayson 2.0 Jason Todd, that's perfectly understandable. Love the show, still need to hit that back-to-the-bins backlog, oh man. Oh yeah, if there's a show that is as timely with its releases as us, it is back-to-the-bins. 
you turn around, it's another episode. I'm like, bloody hell, Paul, you don't have anything to do with your life. And then he counters with that as much as you. <laughs> and I squirm. David Gutierrez also emailed in Legends miniseries. See what he did there? That's clever. I like that. It's funny because it is true. My Leyland's a couple of legends in their own right. In their own mind, possibly. Very much liked and agreed with the majority of your points you made in your Legends review episode. Like you, I bought it and didn't find it very memorable. Jason Todd's Robin was very different than the Mike Barr take on the character being published in the Bat books. And it was a very strange ending with a gathering of heroes with the majority of them not interested in being Justice League members. It's worth pointing out that Captain Marvel bowed out around issue 6 or 7, right before the League went international, followed very soon thereafter by Black Canary. I guess her <laughs> adventures did not mesh well with the post-assault Canary appearing in Mike Grell's Green Arrow. Billy Batson was always a kid reporter. Originally he reported for Wiz Radio, then later went on to being Billy Batson TV reporter, because... Comics. JLA Detroit was ending at the same time Legends was running. Jerry Conway's version of the JLA didn't catch on with readers. All the heavy hitters left. Only old timers Martian Manhunter, Zaytana and the Elongated Man remained. The new crop, Gypsy Vibe, Steel and Vixen didn't set the world on fire. This is why Steel and Vibe had to die. As far as I understand it, since Ronald Reagan was a public figure, his use in fiction is fur game. He and his wife Nancy played major roles in the Millennium crossover. Are you going to cover that? Is that a glittering delight? I agree with you, Andrew. Better to use fake public figures so as not to date the piece. I don't think we'll be covering Millennium, David. I don't, I, I don't really have any inclination to cover that, because it wasn't very good. Was that the, the big, big crossover? That was a big 80s crossover, yeah. Where yeah. Lana Lang was revealed to be a manhunter, was that that one? I don't know. And then that was forgotten about and never <laughs> mentioned again, because they were like, that's a stupid idea, isn't it? Okay. And everyone went, yes, it was. <laughs> one of those times we heartily approve of you just going, let's ignore that. <laughs> now for my expertise, 80s animation, take notes, and possibly a nap. Kissy Fur, father-son cartoon set in the swamp, lasted a year. Foo Fur, cartoon, one season, not a spelling mistake. Gummy Bears, pretty amazing work on that one, lasted a couple of years, very cool cartoon. I'm sorry, David, Gummy Bears was a cool cartoon, but Foo Fur and Kissy Fur were, were not good. I thought Gummy Bears was something you ate. Or maybe they did, maybe they were hunted and had to survive. So basically what you're pitching there is like a Gummy Bears version of the Hunger Games. Yeah. <laughs> Kid Video, this was awful. This was Deke Animation's attempt at hipness. Kid Video was a live band that travelled into the flip side and had animated adventures. The producer's idea was to launch the Kid Video band into musical fame as they showcased videos and original songs. Didn't work. Brady Bunch's cousin Oliver was in the band. You know what? You know he keeps getting mentioned as Brady Bunch's cousin Oliver, but he was also the blonde Milky Bar Kid at... In the um, Galactica 1980, Dr. Z, okay. Robbie Rist. Do you remember him? No. You never, you never watched Galactica 1980, didn't you? No. Being a good parent, I kept you away from that. Yeah. Because it was quite shockingly bad. He was also one of Jamie Summers' pupils in The Bionic Woman. Okay. So he wasn't just Cousin Oliver. Did they really go into the flip side? The did flip side of Dominic Hyde. Did they catch you on the flip side? because uh, that was great. Have you ever seen that? No. The flip side of Dominic Hyde? No. No. Oh, that was great. I love the flip side of Dominic Hyde. Anyway, Punky Brewster, horrible. Magical furry sidekick. Spin-off of the live-action series. Once a grow-on, one-minute PSAs featuring a cavalcade of NBC stars. Michael J. Fox was just but 
one of many. Sorry this one went on so long. Best, David. Oh, it's alright, David. I like being informed about which cool 80s cartoons I should watch whenever they appear on Cartoon Network. I know that Foofer and Kissy Fur are at the top of that list, should I ever come across no, them. Gummy Bears is at the top of your oh, list. Oh, yes. Well, he said it was good. Yeah. Gummy Bears was a good cartoon. Kissy Fur and Foofer, not so much. <laughs> Patrick Kukurin emailed in Forever Evil. Patrick bringing you greetings from Ford Metro Detroit, where Warner Brothers filmed the next Batman v Superman film, because the urban decay of the city reflects posts on Destruction Metropolis. <laughs> True stories, put in parentheses, that's actually pretty good. Do you know what I would watch? Right. Batman v Superman. Would Batman and Superman appear in V? to thwart the alien invasion by the visitors. Didn't they do that with Batman, Superman, Aliens and Predator? Yeah, and they also did Superman War of the Worlds, which wasn't very good. Yeah. But no, 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 the idea that Bruce Wayne could be a lizard man, <laughs> he peels his face off. Okay. That'd be quite cool, and he's been replaced. Alfred serves him roast gerbil. Yeah, that would be brilliant. Come on! <laughs> it writes itself, man. Yeah. Batman v Superman. The final battle. <laughs> oh, great. And then you could turn it into a terrible, terrible television series follow-up. Okay. Absolutely appalling. What would that one be about? It would be about them not doing very much because they don't have any budget anymore, so they have to <laughs> kill off half the cast. Okay. That's what it would be about. And then the rest of it would be just imposing like Mike Donovan used to do. Oh! Mark Singer being a truly terrible actor in that show. Long time with no emails, continues Patrick Cucurin. I'm still enjoying your show and all the general buffoonery, but I'm saddened by all the talk of ceasing so Michael can pursue higher education. Doom demands he stays in a prolonged state of arrested development to keep casting with his father. Doom decrees it! I added that bit at the end. All kidding aside, the past few shows spanning the 70s, Dracula's, She-Hulks and such was fun, but I was elated to see the younger Leyland steering the topic back to the 21st century with Forever Evil. I read the mini, but not the JLA and Justice League Dark and Justice Team 7 or any other DCU ongoing series. I came away with the same lukewarm, it was alright, you seem to have Andrew, but from your coverage the other titles seemed a great deal more interesting. The backstory stuff would have been nice and the massive gaps in the storytelling filled in for me at least. You are still my first podcast on the playlist during long weekend runs. Are we going to have a countdown to the end? That is an exceptional good question, Patrick. As it currently stands, lovely listener, young Michael, will you tell them? Um, we shall have to see what happens on results day. So you still don't know, is what you're saying? Yeah. So you're not leaning towards Zuna Foundation year? It, it depends what my results are. Alright, so at the moment we still don't know. We're not being cagey. We still, as of this recording, don't know what he's going to do. He has been offered a place in uh, Manchester College. Well, I've got the place. And he's got the place. Uh, but he's very much time with the idea of doing another foundation year so that he can go and do a degree in fine art. But this all depends on your results. Yeah. So, to answer your question, we are already countdowning. Is that a word? Counting down. That's the one. To the end. As it currently stands, do you want me to should we reveal all our plans? Go on, I love Pretty <laughs> Yeah, okay. So, after the 70s clone saga, of which this is part two of three. What? <laughs> we are then doing a four week nothing but the 90s. I need to ask Michael Bailey if we can knit that title. Okay. Because I like that title. And he never did anything with it. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know whether I've paid him some money or if I have to appear on a podcast he does to, to in lieu of paying him. Because you know what I'm like, I don't want to pay money. Yeah, yeah. But if I have to appear on a couple of shows with him to, to earn that title, then so be it. Four issues, episodes, issues of that, 
where we cover nothing but 90s stuff. It's very exciting. I was plotting it today, wasn't I? You it's very were, exciting. Yeah. Then we've got one, two, three blank shows where we're not going to do anything. Okay. By which I mean we're just going to release dead air. <laughs> <laughs> just clips of us sat on the blog talking yeah. about comics. Just, uh, yeah, or oh, oh, just, oh, just shows of us reading. Okay. <laughs> just occasionally punctuated. Whoa, that was good. Oh, that was awful. Oh, I'm not buying this book anymore. <laughs> and oh, this bloody digital code doesn't work. And other such things. And then episode 200 is already plotted and planned. And we may still stick with what episode 200 was because that would bring everything cyclical. Yeah. And if Michael is going, that may be the last ever episode. Mm. But if he isn't, the following week we would have Hey Kids Comics 1980. Okay. Which I totally stole off Mark yeah. when uh, we met him in... Um, in, in the pub at London Film and Comic Con and he pitched that to us didn't he yeah. he said if you carry on Mark Taylor hi Mark if you carry on you've got to call it Hey Kids Comics 1980 and you know what we would cover what the Galactica 1980 comics from Dynamite <laughs> just that yeah that would be fantastic so at the moment yeah this is the countdown to the end that's just the way it is it may not end in which case it would be a damp squib of a countdown yeah but you know, because I did say a couple of episodes ago, I did say we would we would change issue episode two hundred, won't we? We'd have to come up with something else. And then I thought, no. Right. What we do is we do it like a TV show that's come to its end, okay. and they made the last episode, and then suddenly it got picked up by another network for another season. There was a, a, a deluge of, of mail from the listening audience that said, "Keep that show on the air." And another network picked us up, still owned by Demanzo, obviously. And then lots of letters saying, take the show off the show. And then we run for an abbreviated 13 episodes instead of 52. Okay. Instead of doing one a week, we just do one every, every now and again. I don't know, it's all up in the air. We're not decided. Could go either way, to be honest with you. Shag emailed in. I like Shag. Okay. Oh no, that's I like shagging. <laughs> that's a different thing. Isn't it? Hello, Shag. Hey, Andy and Michael. I am an infrequent listener. Moving on to our next email. <laughs> no, no, carrying on. Always enjoy when I tune in. See, that doesn't tell us when he tunes in, though. Does it? Infrequently. Infrequently. What is infrequent? Once every six weeks? Not frequently. Oh, yeah, I know what it means, <laughs> but what does it mean in terms of listenership? Because I listen to Fire and Water, even though I don't care about Aquaman. Okay. So I'm quite disappointed that this is not reciprocated, Mr. Matthews. Anyway, your recent episode on Legends was a real treat. Love, love, love that miniseries, and your coverage was exceptional. I jotted down some thoughts whilst listening. Hope you don't mind the bullet point format. It was a bit late if I do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only teasing. Shag knows that. Love the background information you provided on the Legends production. Fascinating. At one time, the working title was Crisis on Captive Earth, which was even mentioned in a few DC comics. Hey, Andy, you like Firestorm? I know a website where you can learn more about the nuclear man. The Legion of Superhero fans are Legion. You will be converted. Sure. Overall, Forever Evil was crap. Some nice moments strung together with decomposing weak dental floss. <laughs> John Byrne and Carl Kiesel are brilliant together. Everyone appears either on model or establishes the model for them. John Ostrander did a great job considering how green he was. He'd just come over from first comics and took DC by storm. It's a testament to Ostrander that so many subsequent series used the same themes. I envisioned the opening scene of Legend as Darkseid saying to Desard, Clytus, uh, Desard, I'm bored. <laughs> You mentioned the plot does feel very Marvel. Never noticed that before. Good observation. Fat Waller is definitely better. 
I agree. Justice League Detroit is equivalent to the Brown Jacket Avengers. Respect. Legends largely forgotten? Not by fans of the 1980s. To me, the scenes of Superman hanging around with the President and Jason Todd being beaten within an inch of his life feel like Shades of Dark Knight Returns, almost as if Ostrander was trying to continue or prequel those threads from DKR. President Reagan also appeared in some X-Men issues, Rogue kissing the window of Earth Force One. Kid Video is unknown across the pond? Criminal. Not according to Patrick Kakoran. No, it was David Gutierrez, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't rate it at all, Shag. I think you two should do a kid video podcast, to be honest with you. Michael Bailey and I are planning to do some Legends coverage ourselves later this year for getting there first. I hate you. For doing such a great job, I unhate you. We'll be sure to mention your coverage and steal all your good content, claiming it for ourselves. <laughs> Thank you for a great episode. Good luck to Michael at University. The irredeemable Shag, the Fire and Water podcast. Who's who? Podcast, who true freaks? Firestormfan.com. Because you have to say .com whenever you talk about a website. Thank you, Shag. It was very nice of you to email in about Legends. We did very much appreciate it. Love that. It's good that. It's always nice hearing from uh, from people who only listening frequently. <laughs> Our final email tonight, Six Shades of Hulk Grey. Very good. I get it. I like that. It's like Fifty Shades of Grayson. <laughs> Hello, Leylands. It's from Chris and Cindy Frankly. Once again, Chris. I'm doubting Cindy had anything to do with this. But, I, you know, I could be wrong. She could have done every third paragraph. Okay. Cindy's the third paragraph. Is, I'm going with that idea. Right, okay. The third paragraph is Cindy, not Chris. Are you going to change your voice when you read it? No, because that would be <laughs> offensive. Hello, Leylands. Hello, Chris and Cindy. I haven't read Hulk Grey, but it sounds like a good, if quick, read. I'll have to see if the local library has it. I appreciate Tim Sale's skill as an artist, but will admit I'm not a fan of his style. So I completely understand Andy's ambivalence towards his Hulk. The covers do look very phoned in, with way too much thought put into the design over actual art. The sweet segment with Hulk and the Rabbit sounds like a nearly direct take-off of a similar scene in the novel of Mice and Men, and particularly the classic film adaptation with Burgess Meredith as George and Lon Chaney Jr. as the lumbering man-child Lenny, who accidentally kills a rabbit in similar fashion. Considering Chaney made his bread and butter playing monsters like the Wolfman and even Frankenstein's monster at one point only makes the connection more apt. Chaney's take on Lenny was lampooned in countless Looney Tunes and other animated charts in the 1940s. Basically, any time a dim-witted character calls another character George or wants to love and pet and hug and kiss some furry creature, it's a riff on Chaney. I'm not going to nitpick your nitpicking! Alright, I am a little bit. From the 60s until the early 90s, Marvel usually seemed to toe the continuity line better than DC when flashbacks occurred or retcons were implanted. But I think that real time has elapsed since the Marvel Age began, has allowed the story to somewhat slip into legend a bit. The very period aspects of the story, such as the Cold War angle presenting nearly every major Marvel origin, nearly require some unspoken tweaking here or there. I think Loeb would have been better off just to say the series took place in the early days of the creature and not gone for such a specific designation between panels. Yeah, I All of those Logue Hulk... Logue. Lobe Hulk. Well, that should we just call them. Lail. Lobe and Sale. That'll do, won't it? Okay, yeah. All those Lail three miniseries things, yellow and blue and grey and whatever, the Captain America whatever ends up being, if they ever end up doing it, they all occupy a nebulous continuity, don't they? That was why it was fun to do continuity and nitpicks for those. Okay. Because they were they weren't rewriting the established continuity. They were re- reworking it. But they were working around it in ways that didn't actually work. And it was just fun to take the piss. 
doing yeah. continuity nitpicks. It didn't mean we didn't enjoy them. And uh, a lo- an awful lot of the Marvel origins don't really hold up now, dealing as they do with radiation and the cold, while the DC origins, by and large, hold up much better. Yeah. Don't they? Bruce Wayne's parents can be killed in an alleyway at any time. Krypton can blow up at any time, preferably not taking another 45 minutes worth of a movie. Just, you know, opening frame, Superman, boom, Krypton blows up. That's what I'd do. Uh, Green Lantern can find the ring at any time, can't he? So their origins hold up much better. Chris concludes, I am interested to hear your take on Seven Soldiers. For some reason, I would have a soft spot for the Golden Age version of the team, but Morrison's wackiness tends to turn me off trying such a huge project as this. Until next time, Chris. Well, Chris... If you read Seven Soldiers, you'll have to let us know. And let us know what you thought about it. Because I was pleasantly surprised by it, was I not? So that was very nice. We will knock it on the head, though, as we rapidly approach the half-hour mark, which I understand from market research from Demanzo is actually the cut-off point of audience boredom. (laughs) <laughs> when it comes to email segments of people's shows. Okay. And that works both ways. The people who do the email section at the end, apparently there is a, a 30-minute cut-off there as well. Demands those graphs, charts, PowerPoint, you know the drill. And he said, audience boredom rating goes peaks, 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 and at 25, 30 minutes, we're all the board. They want to move on. So we will tow the company line, as we do every week, because we know where our paychecks come from. <laughs> And we will play a trailer for a show of some description. Because I don't know what you put in the last three episodes because I haven't listened to them. I don't remember what I put in the last three episodes. Excellent, good. Uh, the email bag's a little bit thin after the Seven Soldiers episodes. I don't know why that would be, but we yeah, you have emails from Tom Panarese, Michael Lane, who I believe is new, new to the show. Big new boy, hey! We'll give him a proper shout-out when we do it. Dave Gutierrez has emailed again. We have another new person, Katie Williams, yay! All these people are coming up in the email bag. So if you want your email read on the show, email us. Because I can't read it if you don't email us. Gene Hendricks, yay! That kind of thing. Michael Peacock, yay! So all these people are coming up, as is the usuals from Chris and Luke and, and all the others. So, if you want to join in with what could be the end... But probably won't be. Yeah. <laughs> Get your email in at heykidscomics.virginmedia.com and we're going to take a break and lubricate my throat and when we come back it's part two of our three-part celebration of the 70s clone saga. Maybe celebration is too strong a word. Maybe we'll coverage. Be, yeah, coverage. That'll do. I like that. Never enough coverage. We'll be right Podcasting, The Final Frontier. This is the Hammer Podcast. It's 30-minute mission. To rehash geeky topics. To seek out new bastions of nerdiness. To timidly go where the more talented have gone before. The Hammer Podcast is the official podcast of the blog, The Hammer Strikes. Both the blog and the podcast come from the mind of your average late-30s geek. In other words, insane ramblings about science fiction and fantasy minutiae. If that interests you, please visit thehammerstrikes.com. Part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. 
And the Wind Cries Cyclone was published in Amazing Spider-Man issue 143, cover dated April 1975. The cover shows a brand new menace for Spidey to battle, and Cyclone is his name. Ooh la la, Paris is my city, Vephead, the whirling dervish claims, whipping up a storm and destroying a building whilst knocking Spidey off his feet in the process. You have come a long way only to die, he melodramatically intones. Was that a good French? It was a bit crap. <laughs> I do hope the French don't take offence. <laughs> if they did, though, everyone would have to take offence. Because I have done well, pretty much every accent in the free world at yeah. this point. And every single one of them has been quality. It's an excellent cover in that Bronze Age kind of way. Cyclone looks like Gil Kane, but Spider-Man looks like John Romita redrew. Mm. Doesn't it? He's spinning around, spinning around, like Kylie Minogue. He's not wearing hot pants, though, thankfully. I don't think we will want to see Cyclone's packet. Okay. Certainly not as impressive a backside as Kylie's. Uh, he's destroying buildings and Spider-Man's all, ah, but he's not actually saying anything. I like it, it's all right. All these Bronze Age covers have been pretty damn good so far. Yeah. Have they not? What is your opinion of it? Dude, I, I like them all. It's just, I think there's too much... Cover copy. It. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is why dialogue and word balloons on covers has largely gone away. Because every single one of the four comics that we're covering in today's show has reams of cover copy and speech balloons on. Yeah. And do you think that harms the cover? Well, they still have cover copy on them now. Yeah, not as much. No. Nowhere near as much as they used to have. I like it. I think it's, it's quite good. Spider-Man still thinks he's cracking up when he once again sees the late-lamented Gwen Stacy entering the subway. He again attempts to ignore it, feeling that it's his subconscious mind playing tricks on him. He swings over to the Daily Bugle, where he again flagrantly flounced the law, entering J. Jonah Jameson's office to search for clues to his whereabouts. His criminal activity bears no fruit, so as Peter Parker, he hits on Betty Brant to gain the information he so craves. Betty says that Jonah is in Europe, but fails to narrow it down to France, presumably just to give Peter something to do. Robbie chooses this point to interrupt and shows Peter a telegram, ostensibly from Jonah, that asks Robbie to bring one million US dollars to Paris, and Robbie wants Peter to accompany him for no discernible reason other than Peter is the star of the comic. After getting the requisite permissions from ESU, Peter says goodbye to Mary Jane at the airport with a kiss that clearly opens the door for a future relationship. Both Peter and MJ are slightly taken aback, but neither are they opposed to it. Arriving in Paris, Robbie receives a phone call telling him about a drop for the money and orders Peter to stay put. Peter agrees, and the issue ends. Actually, Peter dons his Spider-Man costume and takes a long, leisurely swing across Paris, being careful to check out every single tourist attraction supposedly following Robbie. Robbie is then beaten unconscious while Spider-Man is busy taking a selfie under the Champs-Élysées. Again, sadly, that's not what actually happens. Instead, Spider-Man manages to make short work of the thugs laying into Robbie, but he himself is made short work of in turn by Parisian supervillain Cyclone. Cyclone takes Robbie and his men with him, telling Spider-Man he wants the money, honey, or Jameson and Robertson are dead men. Peter is still seeing illusions of Gwen, but here thinks it's an residual effect of the image inducer. And then decides to do some breaking and entering, snooping around Jonah's office. Exactly why Spider-Man should think that Jonah had anything to do with the Mysterio situation in the last couple of issues is never actually explained. 
Because Spider-Man was never around when Jonah was gloating. And as far as we know, as long as Jonah has paid for a lawyer for this guy, he's not talking either. Yeah. So is this Spider-Man knowing something that we, the audience, know that the writer has forgotten that the character himself does not know? Spider-Man didn't find out Jameson was behind that Mysterio stuff, did he? No. He never found that out in the issue. So why would he investigate it thinking that he was? I don't know. You've got no answer for that? No. Good, because I don't think Jerry Conway has either. Maybe Spider-Sense. Maybe Spider-Sense did, because it's very, very flaky in how it's used. Yes. Yeah, as we will mention as we go through this issue. And the other three that we're covering. Peter flirts outrageously with Betty Brandt when he gets into the Daily Bugle building. Betty Brandt bearing a startling resemblance to Margot Kidder in this issue. Do you not think? Duh. I think she looks astonishingly like Lois Lane in Superman the movie, though. Maybe that's just how Ross Andrew draws women. I don't Peter know. being the big liar, saying, Oh, you are the, the only woman I've ever loved. Gwen Stacy, you are the only woman I've ever loved. Mary J. Watson, you are the only woman I've ever loved. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit of a player, is old Peter. Betty announces her wedding day as being August 27th, which is 14 issues away meaning that eight months is 14 months in Marvel time. I'm only pointing out all these time things because they really don't add up if no. you spend more than 30 seconds thinking about them. Yeah, We'll mention that as we go further through because, again, it's, it's more continuous in nitpicks than anything else, but I do have fun picking them apart mm. because so many people put so much stock in those timelines that, that Batman was Batman for two years and then Dick Grayson was Robin for three. They don't work. And that's why I think you're better off leaving them ambiguous. And we're going to point out why they don't work. Doesn't this issue start off with them saying that it's almost New Year's? Mmm. When I have extensive notes about this. It was summer in the last bunch yeah. of issues. Oh, no, that did not go unnoticed by me. Have no okay. fear. I did think the line about Giona doing a ten-line tele- telegram was funny. Uh, Peter points out that, you know... You sure Jonah wrote this? Because the money goes up after ten words and Robbie's like, this is no joke, Peter, he's been kidnapped. <laughs> and Peter's like, yeah, I know, but you don't know this came from him because he's notoriously cheap. Wouldn't he have just sent a telegram saying, pay money now? Yeah. And that would have been it. All right, Peter's got a point, I suppose. Uh, it kind of dates the story a lot nowadays, much more than Peter's wide lapeled jacket. <laughs> because uh, nobody sends telegrams anymore, do they? Hasn't the telegram gone the way of the dodo? I think so, yeah. In many ways. I don't even know if you can send one anymore. I don't think you can. There is also absolutely no reason whatsoever for Robbie to take Peter with him in this story. Unless he knows he's Spider-Man. Unless he suspects he's Spider-Man. Exactly right. So are you now subscribing to my theory that Robbie Robertson, certainly in this era, knew that he was Spider-Man? Because I thought that when you was tailing him later. Yeah. That, that is the only legitimate reason. There's no... Yeah. It's never been backed up. There's no circumstantial evidence to back up my theory that Robbie knows. But my personal thinking is Robbie Robertson knows in much the same way that James Gordon knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Right. But he's never confirmed it because he would have to do something about it. And Robbie, in Robbie's case, he's smart enough to know that anyone who finds out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man ends up dead. Yeah. So Robbie's keeping his mouth shut. But other than that, there is no legitimate reason for him to take him, is there? No. The note is clearly for Robbie. Mm -hmm. It's not a news 
Dory per se, so he doesn't need photos. And Peter's freelance anyway. And Peter's freelance anyway, so there is no reason for him to pay for that extra ticket to go to France with him. Yeah. Unless he knows he's Spider-Man, and he wants Spider-Man in his car now. Yeah. Works, doesn't it? It, it totally yeah. works. I don't know if it works in more recent stories. Uh, my thinking is Conway thought that Robbie knew. And yeah. he writes it that way. And it totally works if you read it with that in mind. Um, I work in a college. You've got to give anything away there. There is no way that Peter's paperwork for leaving for his leave of absence would get processed that quickly. Yeah. It, no way. Not in any way whatsoever. Also, why is Peter even in class? The date of this issue is specifically given at the beginning of the next issue, isn't it? Yeah. So this is in between Christmas and New Year, isn't it? Yeah. Given the date that we've been given. Or we will get given in the next issue. Because I've not made a note about it yet. So we are in the middle in between Christmas and New Year. Yeah. Wouldn't ESU be closed? Yeah. The actual date given for the story, there you go, I've just found it, is December 28th, 1974. Wouldn't, wouldn't university be closed for Christmas, New Year? They don't do classes in between Christmas and New Year. It's the Christmas holidays. Yeah. So I didn't understand, A, why he was in class, and B, why you would need a leave of absence when he's on holiday anyway. Unless this is a class for remedial students and Peter's failing. Maybe. It's always possible. Christmas classes. Could be. It's the, but he wouldn't need a leave of absence, would he? He's not in not school. Mandatory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, somebody, if you want to email in and tell me that I'm wrong, that for some reason New York universities go back in between Christmas and New Year for three days' worth of classes, but I can't imagine that they do. Mm. But anyway, I thought that was, um, that, was a, that was strange. And it confused me and perplexed. It vexed me. I was terribly vexed. We should bring vex back into the, the popular vernacular. I love the word vex. The Peter Murray Jane scene is hands down the best scene in the issue and Conway does a pretty good job of letting this breathe over three whole pages there's a lot of build up that's led to this MJ and Peter growing slowly closer since Gwen died MJ realising that she does actually care for Peter and Peter being unsure of what's happening for these feelings it's a genuine real organic relationship and Conway did a really good job with it. Peter and MJ's kiss kind of implies it's the first time that they've done this which is possible given how on off again they were in the early days I suppose but I thought it was Robbie Robertson's cheeky smile yeah. that sold it when they were sat in the airport waiting to go I also like that MJ calls him Tiger because he's not which I thought was quite sweet because you're reading this now with the knowledge that Murray Jane does know who he is, because yeah. that retcon is in place. So, that do you think that, if we assume that she knows, is she giving an ironic hint, though, that she knows? She calls him Tiger, because she really knows that he's Spider-Man, so she makes up this reason I call you Tiger, because you're not. And she's just saying, but actually I know that you are. I, I, I don't. Am I just reading too much into it? Maybe. Very possible. See, you can't overanalyze this stuff. Yeah. But certainly, my theory that Robbie knows is but a theory. But MJ knows, retcon-wise, if you believe in retcons. Yeah. I thought Peter's laugh was pretty... Cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. But in a good way. I don't mind a bit of cheese in my comic books. It's not fattening in a comic book, is it? <laughs> or 
also, MJ's rocking the beret, which I also thought was a nice touch, given Peter and Robbie's destination. It does just disappear, though. She's got it on her head at the beginning of the scene, and then it disappears when he kisses her. Oh, she's got it in her hand, though. Right, okay. Yeah, over his shoulder. She's taken off her beret to give Peter a kiss, which was quite sweet. And she doesn't put it back on. No, right then, then it disappears. Yeah, well, you can you can infer that it's in her other hand, though. And, though, you don't actually see your other hand. You see so. both hands in that panel. Which panel? That one. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, all right. Okay. She's tucked it in her pocket. Right, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> no prize for a comic book that's, what, 40 years old? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Spider-Man arrives in Paris, we know this because he swings past the Eiffel Tower. He swings past every single... He swings past every single major tourist attraction in France. Yeah. Despite the fact that these things are clearly not near each other. It's not like when you're in France, you go, oh, there's the Champs-Élysées, and over the road, there's the Eiffel Tower. They're all on the same road. They're all on the same road. You can cover all the major things in France in half an hour. Yeah. Apparently. But, you know, whatever. Whilst he's over there... He says that his spider sense informs him that the man who is talking to Robbie, having arranged this drop, is the same man who called an hour ago. His spider sense does that. Not his hearing sense, (laughs) which all of us have. Yeah. His spider sense. His spider sense says to him, hey, spider, that guy there, that's the guy that phoned ages ago. And spider goes, thanks, spider sense. And you're like, how the hell does that work? Could he not have just gone, I recognise that voice from the phone call earlier with my regulation hearing sense? Maybe. You know how you only use about 10% of your brain? <laughs> what if Spider only used 10% of his spider, spider sense? Unless this goes to what you were saying last time when he was in the Spider-Mobile. And he's, he has got spider hearing. And yeah. He's not in the Spider-Mobile, so your theory doesn't hold water. Maybe he just has super hearing anyway. <clears throat> and just doesn't know it. Yeah. Uh, and his spider sense works like super hearing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. It's a bit lame to me, but all right, I will accept that. As with the last issue, Conway tells us in flashback form information that would have been much clearer told in linear fashion. There is no reason at all for Conway to use this storytelling device here. It doesn't enhance the plot to reveal it in flashback. It doesn't bring Spider-Man into the story any quicker to have this flashback scene it still takes two whole pages to tell it and I honestly think that this was him just being clever for the sake of being clever yeah. the story would have made more sense told in a linear fashion as it would have actually built the suspense better and we would have had the nice travelogue of him swimming past swimming, swinging past the Cathedral of Notre Dame and you know Palace de Vendôme and all of that stuff because it's basically hey look we went to France which they didn't, because it's a comic book, so there was no location film. Because this does sm- smell of, if you're in a film, if they actually went on location, they make a point of filming the actors in front of the location, don't Every they? time Jason Bourne someone. Yeah, look, we actually went on location. Yeah. As opposed to using grainy stock footage and green screen. Um, but this flashback scene it just didn't, didn't work for me at all. Um, and it also doesn't make a lot of sense. Robbie tells Peter to stay in the hotel room when he gets the call about the drop. Why did he bother taking Peter with him then? Yeah. If he was going to tell him to stay in the hotel room. Unless right. he's given him the excuse to change to Spider-Man. He can't do that if Peter's with him. 
Okay. Yeah. So all all works in with my conspiracy theory that Robbie Robertson knows Peter Parker is Spider Man. Or maybe him and his wife are supposed to go, but <laughs> they had an argument. Yeah, it would have been funny if Robbie had taken his wife and it's like, well, figure Jonah, if you got killed, me and the missus got a trip to Paris out of it. Yeah. And you just dying was unfortunate. But if we saved your life, bonus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she always wants to go to France. Yes. Um, Spider-Man knocks Robbie out to preserve his secret identity. Cheers, Spider-Man. <laughs> Give me concussion to preserve something that I already know. Uh, he then got his own head thrown into a wall. He did. That's very true. It's fine for what it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's perfectly readable. I have to confess to not being a fan of Spider-Man stories where he's taken out of his element... While some fun can be had with transplanting him to London or, as here, Paris, there's always a lot of hoops to jump through to explain how Peter and Spider-Man can be in the same place at the same time. And they're never satisfying. They never work. Of them, this is the easiest. Nobody sees Spider-Man apart from the bad guys. And he knocks Robbie out before he can see him. If they were to keep that up for next issue, that would have been great. But they don't, do they? No. They go for a total lame cop-out. Story-wise, it's pretty much the same as the Mysterio issue. It's the subplots that are keeping this going and the deepening of the Peter-MJ relationship, which, of course, is going to be severely tested by what comes next. It's not bad. It's quite enjoyable in the reading of it, but it's not great, is it? No. Did you like this one? I... Kind of enjoyed it. Kind of. Yeah, I was enjoying it, but I had too many problems, and one of them was the flashback sequence, which kind of just ruined the issue for me. Yeah, if there would have been nothing wrong with him just structuring this as a story. Yeah. The only time flashbacks work are where they enhance or reveal something that is important to the plot that makes you look back at the story and go, ah, that's why. Flash, and also I think, I mean, it's no fault of this issue, which obviously came out in, in 1975, mm. but I think flashbacks have played out now. Lost, ruined flashbacks for everybody. Yeah. I don't want flashbacks in my entertainment anymore, unless they are imperative to the plot, because Lost just overdid them for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. So I'm not interested in them, and this kind of suffers from my flashback fatigue Whereas it's not this comic's fault. It was written, you know, 40 years ago. You say it felt shoehorned in this? Yeah, there was no need for it, was there? No. Like last issue, the flashback that revealed the important plot information. Yeah. And you're going, wouldn't this plot information have been better revealed in the story? Well, this wasn't even for any plot information. It was just to, so the, the artist could draw French tourist yeah, attractions. Yeah, which he could have done in linear fashion. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, as usual, we have the original issue of this, but I don't think any of the adverts are particularly interesting. There's a Planet of the Apes mask, which is nice, and the Star Trek coin medallion, and you can buy a, a Star Trek, whatever that is, USS Enterprise replica of the spaceship, and an exploration set, Tricorder Phaser Communicator, otherwise known as a mobile phone nowadays. <laughs> which is uh, pretty damn good. Formula One gets an advert with lots of corgi toys. I think we had that last time. I'm sick and tired of my job. Not a statement from me, an advert. Again, I think it's the one we mentioned last time with Ed Norton in it. (laughs) Uh, The letters page doesn't have any interesting letters from anyone who went on to be famous. Uh, Again, we mentioned the belt buckles and the posters last time. 
There is an excellent piece of art on page 23 from Ross Andrew of, him beating, of Spider-Man beating people up. Not Ross Andrew beating people up. That would be silly. Bullpen Bulletin's play- page. I always say Bullpen Bulletin's pledge. Is here along with the requisite adverts for making yourself into a real He-Man, learning Kung Fu and getting your high school diploma. I don't know what they're trying to say about the audience for comic books, but it doesn't seem particularly flattering, does no. it? No. In any way whatsoever. The story, such as it was, continued into a comic that I have never opened because I did purchase this at Coliseum of Comics in Florida for 50% off. So, on oh, lovely listener, you are getting a comic opening. You're also getting me cocking it up! Oh, are you going to rip it? The sellotape caught the cover of the comic because I hate sellotape being comic. And I almost ripped Amazing Spider-Man 144. However, having years of practice at dealing with that very problem, I managed to unsellotape the cover, and the issue remains unsullied by human hands. Apart from the fact it's obviously been touched by human hands before. Anyway, Amazing Spider-Man 104, cover dated May 1975, is called The Delusion Conspiracy. The cover which is also the cover of the trade paperback collection that we've been reading this from, has Spider-Man pointing at a lady wearing a familiar pair of go-go boots and him saying, I must be seeing things. You, you, you can't be standing there. You're dead! If you only read one comic this year, it has to be The Delusion Conspiracy. It's by Gil Kane and John Romita. Well, the cover is. And it's very good. The trade paperback removes the dialogue... And recolours it. The recolouring job's very nice, but removing the dialogue makes very little sense. I know dialogue and covers is passe nowadays, but it just makes Spider-Man look like he's pointing at some random lady. Yeah. Without the dialogue, though, he's just going, "Ha! You're a woman." <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. So New York's a mess compared to this cover, isn't it? Very litter-strewn. Anyway, it's a good cover, though. Yeah, I like it's it. Very, um, very eye-catching. I don't get how this is the one comic you have to read this year considering it's one of the weakest of the issues yeah alright do you think yeah oh alright okay fair enough let's not tell the lovely listeners that you thought this one was crap we may as well just go on to issue 145 (laughs) which is a good one and has the scorpion in it what happened in this issue well, after recapping the plot for us, Spider-Man, as Peter Parker, arrives back at the hotel where a note has been left for him telling him to stay put. He uses this opportunity to call Aunt May because time differences between countries seems to not matter in the Marvel Universe, especially as it's evening for both parties. How does that work then, Ted? Anyway, Peter and Aunt May share pleasantries, she dotes, he lies, and then she leaves to go out for the night with Anna Watson. They muse about Peter and MJ and poor Gwen, only for May to nearly keel over and die when she sees Gwen across the street. Back at the hotel, Peter is accosted by some French thugs who tell him to take one million dollars to the Cathedral of Notre Dame and then punch him around a few times just for good luck. Peter Parker retrieves the money and then drops by a hardware store to buy a huge crate full of stuff. It doesn't say if he uses the money from the one million dollars to purchase all that stuff. (laughs) Later that night, Spider-Man drops by Notre Dame, hearing Cyclone explain his origin to J. Jonah Jameson. Jameson, for his part, couldn't give a toss. But we'll fill in the gaps for you. A 
Apparently, Cyclone was a NATO engineer who designed the Cyclotron, or whatever, but couldn't sell it to anyone, and by anyone, he means America, and by was a NATO engineer, I mean he's fired. As motivations go, it's pretty lame. Spider-Man dangles the briefcase of money in front of the goons from earlier and takes great pride in beating them up. He then lures Cyclone to the back of the cathedral, where he has built a huge fan that Cyclone somehow failed to notice. Engaging the fan, Cyclone finds that Spidey has created a reverse vortex to counteract his power. In plain English, Spider-Man has reversed the polarity. Cyclone is taken out by the oversized air conditioning unit and Spider-Man unties Jonah and Robbie and thanks to a remote control tape recorder, remember them kids? He even manages to convince them that Peter is up in the belfry taking pictures. All's well that ends well, right? Well, almost. Upon returning home, Peter finds Aunt Anna at his apartment. Hysterical. Aunt May is in the hospital. And up in his apartment are very much alive, Gwendolyn Stacy. <gasps> wow, what a cliffhanger. Do you not think? It's just the the rest of the issue. Isn't it? <laughs> After three pages of recap, in an 18-page story. Remember, at this time, Marvel had a lot more adverts. That seems a bit excessive, doesn't it? Yeah. To me. Uh, why it takes three pages for Spider-Man to say, Robbie and Jonah have been kidnapped in Paris and Cyclone beat my ass, I've got no idea. Bless his little cotton socks, Peter tries to speak French. Yes, I, I mean, we. We, indeed. <laughs> I mean, uh, fair play for trying, Peter. Points for that. But the Frenchman would have just mocked you mercilessly. Yeah. If my experience with being in France is uh, is any indication. Did you get mocked in France? No, our Peter did. Right, okay. He was trying to speak French, because he always tried to learn language, and the French guy went, ah, yeah, very nice Englishman, don't bother. It was funny. He did okay. it funnily, yeah. because he wanted a tip, obviously. But it was funny. Peter is also wearing an awful bright yellow shirt and hideous sweater. But it is Christmas time. So hideous sweaters are perfectly allowable at Christmas time, is, is my understanding. Okay, yeah. It is awful, though, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely dreadful. Speaking of which, the passage of time in these stories bears absolutely no scrutiny whatsoever. So we, of course, are going to scrutinise it. Peter and Liz went looking for his new apartment in late summer. Liz was wearing a very fetching bra top that revealed her midriff, not exactly from the winter collection. Despite the stories all bleeding into each other and seemingly not taking place over more than a few weeks, we are now in between Christmas and New Year. Mm-hmm. Maybe he had a lot of Marvel team-ups. Well, yeah, he's he only in the middle of one. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Which is brilliant. Yeah. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Aunt May almost has a heart attack after seeing Gwen. Hey. Only almost, though. I know, yeah. It was a shame. <laughs> it was. Uh, I did love that the kidnappers go to Peter in the hotel, hysterically dressed in the garish blue and yellow outfits, replete with masks, and nobody in the hotel went, Ah, oh, those blokes, they look a little bit weird. Nobody said anything. These are like French people. This is what's passing for fashion in 1970s Paris. Yeah. They always were ahead of the curve, weren't they? <laughs> so, yeah, all right then. Okay, everyone's dressing like that in Paris yeah. in 1975. It's Peter who looks a little bit weird. Well, in that jumper. And that, uh, and he's got another one of these. He's got like, one of those jackets on with the big collar. He's got a Wolverine fur. jacket. Yes, he's got a Wolverine jacket. Yeah, which uh, 
little bit dated nowadays. The midsection of this issue makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. The kidnappers tell Peter to take the money to Notre Dame tonight. Okay, fine. Peter then checks out the one million and wanders around Paris with it in his hand. He wanders around the loneliest places in Paris. This is also first thing in the morning. Yeah. So he's carrying that one million around with him for no reason whatsoever, other than he needs the money to buy all this stuff from the hardware store. I mean, I know he's Spider-Man, but, you know, still... Do you know what? I like to think that he was wandering around with that one million in his his hand here and seriously considering just disappearing with the money. (laughs) He was just wandering around going, if I just walk now, walk away, forget everything, I've got one million dollars here, I can live the high life. In France? Well, he'd, he'd maybe he'd get out of France. Maybe he'd go to somewhere else in Europe. But he's, he's away. Yeah. He lets Robbie and Jonah die. Job <laughs> done. One million in his hand. I, that's what I thought he was doing. Because this is a Peter Parker that steals McDonald's lunches, remember? Yes, yeah. So that's my theory. He buys a literal box full of stuff. And he needs a huge crate to wheel it all away. And the art shows boxes that are bigger than he is. Yeah, he's 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 not straining because he's Spider-Man, but he's obviously struggling a little bit with all the stuff that he's bought. So, where were Jonah and Robbie being held while all this was going on? If they were held at the cathedral all day, mm. then how did Peter get into the cathedral and build this stuff without being heard? And if they were being held somewhere else. Why did Cyclone then transport them to the cathedral later? And in doing that, why did he not see this huge big fan that has now appeared in the middle of the room? Well, go on, I'm, I'm looking may, forward may to that. Maybe they say that they do not wake up early on a Saturday, right? Right, but neither do teenagers. True, but he goes and builds this big fan in the cathedral. So where were Jonah and Robbie? Also asleep. <laughs> and how did he not wake them up? Building that really rather large fan. He was quiet about it. He was quiet about hammering stuff. <laughs> yeah. How does that work then? No, it was one of those kind of, you know, the clip on the, the models that you don't need glue for, like just <laughs> stick together. He's bought a clip together fan. <laughs> yeah. And these were just standard in hardware stores across France in 1975, in the middle of winter, when you don't need a fan because it's not warm. Uh, yeah. Excellent, that's, okay. That's why you don't need one, the, the cheap during the winter. <laughs> and this fan fills an entire wall. Why would you want a fan that big? It can get hot in France. Not in winter! That's So it's cheap then? I mean, the only practical use this fan has is for Jim Lee to put it in Batman's boots. <laughs> it made no sense, and you're not making it make sense. Because that's not a small fan. Or maybe it's for, for concerts and festivals <laughs> and such. Then this hardware store just happened to have one. The, where else do the festivals and concerts get them from? So they go and buy their fans from hardware stores in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Alright, uh, fair enough. I don't think it made sense. I did think Spider-Man saying that people would have paid to keep Jonah kidnapped was funny. Mm. <laughs> that was quite amusing. I did like this fight scene at the end of that. It was good. Although I really do wish they'd colour Peter's eyes brown, especially when Murray Jane has called him brown eyes on panel. Read the goddamn comic colourists. The ending makes about as much sense as the middle section, which is to say, not a bit. uh, Jonah and Robbie fall for the tape record a bit, which I just did not buy. Aren't these guys crack investigative journalists? 
the ending of this issue is by far and away the best part of it. It's lovely and beautifully melodramatic in that way that 70s comics are. Of course, it's Gwen. She's even got the Mac, the headband, and the go-go boots. Yeah. Different coloured headband, though. And as we'll mention, that the headband later next week comes in useful. They pack an awful lot into these 18-page stories, including three pages of flashback. Yeah. So last week's issue, last month's issue. Uh, this is very, very, very silly, but fun and enjoyable. A big fan takes out Cyclone. A big fan. Ignoring that, and how the hell Peter managed to build this thing without anyone seeing him, this was, you know, it was alright, it was perfectly entertaining. The villains all do that thing where they use bits of the language the writer knows instead of speaking fluent French or English. But there's no way in hell I buy that Robbie or Jonah would buy his tape recorder story. This is dumb, but fun. Yeah. It was perfectly serviceable. It's the cliffhanger that makes it, though, alive and well, not a hallucination or an imaginary tale. Gwen Stacy is back. I don't know why Peter's doing a little interpretive dance on that last page. Because his feet are on the floor. Yeah. It's like he's doing a little tap dance when he sees Gwen. Maybe mid-run. Very possible. Because he has just run up the stairs to, uh, to open the door. Yeah. Doesn't look like he's got a great deal of room between the top of the stairs and the door, does it? No. It also looks like the door's open in the penultimate panel. So why he's opening it again in the last panel, I don't know. What did you think of this one? I wasn't a big fan of it, really. Were you not? No. But the last bit, where he meets Gwen, that does raise the questions of why didn't she go to him first? Yeah, how long has she been wandering around New York? You get in the next issue that she's confused and doesn't know what's going on, so surely she would go to someone who she knows. Hmm. That would be Peter. So what's she doing going around to the subways at the beginning of the issue and just walking around? And not just the beginning. This is the second time he's seen her. Yeah. So how long has she just been wandering around New York going, ooh, where am I? Ooh, this looks familiar. I know, I'll go to Peter Parker's apartment. Amnesia, maybe. But if that's the case, then how did she remember to go to see Peter? But she didn't because she's at his new apartment. That's very true. He's moved since. How did she find him? Yeah. An excellent question. We will have to look and see if that is covered in the next issue. I don't remember it being. I don't remember either. You're absolutely right. It's entirely... It's. It's. I don't know how Gwen found him. Mm-hmm. Mm. She did the best thing she's ever done in this issue, though. What, just stand there and not say anything? No, gave Aunt May a heart attack. <laughs> you are so mean. <laughs> uh, bullpen bulletins is good, as usual. But, you know, Spider-Man has also a Hostess Fruit Pies ad. There are no recognisable villains in it, but it looks like it was drawn by Ross Andrew as the issue it was. As the issue was itself, sorry. Lovely full-page splash of Spider-Man fighting Cyclone. Again, lending credence to my claim that Ross Andrew is a much underrated Spider-Man artist. You can subscribe to the many Marvel titles that are available. Considering the 70s were a downtime, Marvel were publishing a hell of a lot of comics, weren't they? Mm. Very few of them are still being published today, but there's an awful lot of comics there. And we won't list them all, because that would take forever. No important people wrote letters in. Actually, that's not, I'm sure they were all important to their mothers. But nobody went on to become famous, and you can sell grit, and learn karate, and learn to build your body up. The only new advert is another advert for Mego, who are advertising that they are now selling Lizard, the Green Goblin, Hulk, and Falcon dolls. Oh, man. Watch for them soon. There's no price on these, but the Lizard and the Green Goblin are Ditko art. The Green Goblin is riding his broomstick rather than his um, glider. 
Yeah. But, oh, I had a Hulk doll. I had a Hulk Mega doll. But I had a 12-inch one, not an 8-inch one. Made up with that. <laughs> it was alright, that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was okay. It, was, it wasn't a terrible issue by any stretch of the imagination, but it wasn't great. I think is what we're saying. I will not sell a tape it back up. It'd probably be better if that was the only issue you read this year. <laughs> there are no others that are better than it. I won't make the same mistake with Amazing Spider-Man issue 145, which I'm also unsealing from my Coliseum of Comics bag, which I got for 50% off. Cover dated June 1975. The cover has the scorpion smash one of those ubiquitous water towers over Spider-Man with his tail. As Spider-Man falls to the deluge, the scorpion states, You're all washed up, web-slinger. What a comedian. The scorpion stings but once, but once is plenty. The cover copy runs, which is quite James Bondian, Hmm. I thought. Scorpion stings but once. All this and Gwen Stacy 2, which could be a very subtle pun. Gwen Stacy 2, number 2. Uh, Get it? Yeah. Clever, yeah. you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, fair enough. Good cover. Love it. The art is by Gil Kane and John Romita. I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely excellent. Not too much cover copy this time. No. I didn't think. All these issues still cost a whopping 25 cents. Gwen Stacy is alive and well. Peter slowly descends into madness, greeted as he is by something that simply cannot be. Gwen Stacy, alive and stood before him. Peter, convinced this is a cruel prank, storms off leaving Gwen sobbing and Anna Watson confused. Elsewhere, Mac Gargan, aka The Scorpion, is released from jail and despite being a model prisoner, is already plotting his next during raid. He dons his green costume and early the next morning proceeds to rob a first savings and loan. Peter Parker, however, awakens on the uncomfortable chair of a hospital waiting room where he has been keeping a vigil for Aunt May. Thankfully for the plot, the expositional news network is playing copyright, Michael Bailey, and he hears of the Scorpions during raid. With Aunt May stable, Spider-Man takes to the New York skyline in search of the man with the stainless steel sting. After pootling around New York for a bit and even having a team-up, the Scorpion finds him. It's time for fisticuffs. Scorpion irrationally blames Spider-Man for everything despite it all being Jonah's fault, a fact he bangs on about whilst banging Spider-Man's head with his tail. Spidey, knackered from his battle with the Meteor Man in Marvel Team-Up issue 33, lures the Scorpion to a cement processing plant and it all pans out from that point as you would expect, except it's Spider-Man who falls into the mixing vat and is almost drowned in cement. Left for dead, our hero emerges later on to find the Scorpion gone. Later, Peter returns to the hospital where he finds Gwen, Mary Jane, Betty, Robbie and Ned Leeds. Why all of these people are at the hospital can easily be explained by the word plot. And after Peter snaps at Mary Jane and yells at Gwen, he's told that somehow, some way, this is the real Gwen Stacy. Yeah, I like the, the title of this issue. Gwen Stacy is alive and... well. Yeah, because the, are they questioning... It's that she's being well. Surely you'd question her being alive. I read it as Gwen Stacy alive and well. As in well, now what? Well, because there's a comma after the and. Sorry, fair enough. So that's how I read it. Gwen Stacy's alive and now what? Now what do we do? Now where do we go? And it's a play on Gwen Stacy's alive and well. Yeah. Right. That was my interpretation. I must have missed that comma. Yes, despite it being huge! It's not as huge as the rest of it. No, no. That's that's my interpretation of the title. Yours could differ, and indeed did. Which is perfectly okay. P. 
Peter's slow descent into complete and utter madness is depicted admirably by Ross Andrew, who keeps Peter in the foreground of three panels at the bottom of page two as he goes over the events of the last few days with Gwen confused and alone behind him. After telling her to back off, Andrew then uses these three panels to move in on Peter as if on a camera dolly. In panel one, Peter has his face down. As he raises his head in panel two, the image zooms in and finally for panel three, we see Peter sweating eyes wide and in close-up as he realises who it is who is stood before him. It's a very effective way of charting Peter's insanity. Honestly, with everything Peter Parker has gone through over the years, it's a wonder he isn't a candidate for Arkham Asylum. His eyes are still blue. Yes. Whereas Gwen Stacy's headband keeps on changing. Yeah, Gwen Stacy's headband keeps changing from black to red as well, doesn't it? From blue in the last issue. Yeah, it was blue, wasn't it? Yeah. Well spotted, that man. The colourist on this issue was Petra Goldberg, who obviously doesn't read the comics. Okay. That she's colouring. Because she keeps making that same mistake with Peter's eyes. Ross Andrew, as I've mentioned numerous times, is a much underrated Spider-Man artist. Exhibit A, my lord. Page 5, panel 1 of him swinging above New York is pretty damned awesome. Mm -hmm. I like that a great deal. Very fun. Jerry Conway brought back a lot of bad guys in his stories from the early years, normally to be villain of the month instead of really doing anything all that interesting with them. The Scorpion is no exception. The Scorpion was created by J. Jonah Jameson in Amazing Spider-Man issue 20 in yet another borderline illegal experiment for killing Spider-Man. Thematically, Conway could have tied this in with the last few issues worth of story and Jameson being responsible for using Mysterio to attack our hero and then maybe examine Jonah's compulsion for doing this kind of thing. Sadly, he didn't do that. And the Scorpion is pretty irrelevant, really, isn't he? Yeah. He could have been anyone, couldn't he? He could have been the Gibbon or the Beetle. Yeah, but it's still pretty cool having it be Scorpion. Yeah, but it would have made no difference to the story who the bad guy is. Mm. It's cool that it's the Scorpion, because the Scorpion's cool. Yeah. But it doesn't matter, does it? It's not like he's on a personal vendetta against Jonah, which was his shtick for a while, mm. once he realised he was stuck in this costume. Because he isn't stuck in it yet, is he? Because he gets given it back when he comes out of jail. Yeah. Why didn't he go back to being um, a private detective then? Which is what he was before he was made the Scorpion. Because he... He just likes crime. Yeah. He got a taste for it. Let's be bad guys. Marvel team-up issue 33 happens on page 11 in between panels 2 and 3. Which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah. (laughs) That they slit an issue of team-up. In the middle of this issue. I bet this was a real pain in the ass for the people who do Marvel Chronology Project. (laughs) Uh, Ross Andrew is an extremely underrated Spider-Man artist. Exhibit B, my lord. Page 12, full page splash of Spider-Man fighting the Scorpion. Hmm. Which I thought was pretty damn good. Scorpion's tail keeps changing sizes, doesn't it? Maybe it grows. Maybe you can stretch it, yeah. Maybe it's like Dr. Octopus's arms. It can telescope out and back in. Yeah, I'll buy that. I think that's perfectly reasonable, no price. What I don't buy, however, more timeline confusion. Oh, is there more? Oh, yes, there's there's plenty more. (laughs) Uh, Scorpion says he's been dreaming of revenge for two years. Is this two years since he was put away by Captain America? In Captain America issue 152, cover dated August 1972, which is actually three years ago, but, Mm -hmm. you know, Marvel time. Or is it two years since he became the Scorpion? I only ask, as this really buggers up Spider-Man chronology, if it's been two years since he last fought Captain America. If we were to care about such things. Which we don't. 
Mm-hmm. But if we did, yeah, that would mess all of that up. Uh, it's a fun issue. Again, nothing special, nothing new, but it's enjoyable all the same. It's fair to say the mystery of Gwen Stacy is easily the best thing about it. And, you know, those portions of the story are all fine and dandy. Some of the other stuff's a little harder to explain, but it's a Bronze Age superhero comic book. Sometimes it's better to just go with it mm. rather than analyse it too much, in which case it's pointless doing a podcast about it, isn't it? We just sit here and go, Rosari. Uh, Bullpen Bulletins, again, is interesting. Plug in Jim Sterling's Warlock, which, again, we heartily endorse because we thoroughly enjoyed it. But other than that, no interest in adverts at all, apart from the requisite you can be a He-Man, you can learn karate, you can buy Marvel merchandise and Mega dolls. Oh, and fishing. You can buy a fishing rod in this issue, which I don't think you could. In the last issue. Did you like that one? What did you yeah, think of it that was, one? I like the Scorpion bits. Well, the Scorpion's fun. Yeah. He is a fun bad guy. I, I mean, I wasn't criticising that they used the Scorpion. I was criticising, really, that this is the second time in this run we've covered that Conway's used an old bad guy and not really done anything new with him. Yeah. He's just brought him back, done his old shtick, and we've moved on. Mm-hmm. Nothing really to, to talk about, per se. Amazing Spider-Man issue 146 was covered dated July 1975 and has an excellent cover by John Romita, who was also an Inca this issue, although the rest of the team were the same. The Scorpion looms over Aunt May's body in hospital as Spider-Man swings in through the window. You, you can't, Spider-Man says. Watch me whip it, the emerald-hued adversary replies. One more second and the lady dies. When strikes, the Scorpion is the only other copy on the cover. Did you like that one? I did. Did you like it because Aunt May's been threatened? Possibly. <laughs> you are sick. Sick, Lex. Sick. <laughs> Scorpion, where is thy stink? The Jackal pulls his alas poor Yorick shtick with a bust of Spider-Man, musing that his plans two long years in the making are finally coming to fruition. Elsewhere, Peter and Gwen try to make sense of it all by having hot rampant sex, and I say that only to ruin Sin's past. <laughs> Something harder, yes indeed, <laughs> than it looks with Peter's growing feelings for MJ, and the Scorpion makes a play for some ganglord's crime empire. Why? Who the hell knows? The Jackal greets the Scorpion as he leaves the estate and states that he has a cunning plan that will destroy Spider-Man. Why does the Jackal involve the Scorpion? Who the hell knows? Elsewhere, Spider-Man is being all proactive and stuff, locating Gargan's apartment and tracking the money stolen in the bank job yesterday. He even reports his findings to the police. Look at Spider-Man being the responsible citizen. He'll be reading Miranda rights next. He fails to locate the Scorpion himself, however, but that's okay, because the Scorpion drops by Aunt May's hospital room for a little chat. Because he's a bad guy and talks incessantly, he reveals that the Jackal told him Spider-Man would be here, and Peter, never one to disappoint, obliges. Spider-Man deduces that the Jackal must know who he is, but puts that on the web burner to deal with the Scorpion, which he does by convincing the Scorpion that he's insane, which isn't difficult, as Spidey's a tiny little bit annoyed at the threat on Aunt May's life. Spider-Man makes the Scorpion think he's going to kill him, and Scorpion surrenders, but not before Spidey makes him apologise to Aunt May. Cute, cute end music. Do, 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 do. Do, did you like that? Yeah. Yeah, it's all right, wasn't it? Uh, the actual inking credits for this issue read John Romita and the gang, which implies a many hands scenario, but Romita very definitely inked the splash patch. Yeah. It's 
very definitely John Romita's splash page. He actually makes the jackal look threatening. Yeah. Which, um, let's be honest, is quite difficult to pull off when you're wearing a furry costume with big ears. He does look like a, a warmed-over green goblin, really, doesn't he? Yeah. In that particular instance. The splash is a shot of the jackal, who we haven't seen for a few issues, holding up a bust of Spider-Man, probably that expensive Alex Ross one that came out a few years back, and has him quoting Shakespeare, because he's the bad guy, and bad guys quote Shakespeare. I like how the Spider-Man Buster's got its own spider sense. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder why he's got a yellow halo around its head. Yeah. What What are they emphasising there? I didn't, I didn't understand that at all. The splash page also notes that this is the end of Jerry Conway's third year of writing Spider-Man. He won't last much longer, sadly. I think he's only got four more issues. Uh, the Jackal, with no concern whatsoever for the after-sales market, smashes the bust of Spider-Man, <laughs> whilst complaining that he has waited two long, miserable years to strike. This is two years since Gwen was killed, which gives us more timeline confusion. Only a few issues ago, Peter was still referred to as being a teenager. Which really doesn't work out if you're doing it by timeline, does it? Yeah. It doesn't work out at all. It flatly contradicts the 90s clone saga, which establishes that Peter was Spider-Man for only 2.5 years in total before this story happened. I really don't care for established timelines, but it's point. It's fun to, to take it and take the mech out of it. Yeah. The clone saga gives the timeline as being... It's two and a half years between Amazing Fantasy 15 and this issue. Right. Which means that if he was 15, 16 when he was bitten by the spider, then he's only 18 now. Yeah. 18 and a half. So that means that the entire graduating from high school to Gwen dying happened in 0.5 of a year. Right. That really don't work, does it? Mm. You can't even no-prize that dude, so don't even try. Well, Gwen Stacy's headband changes colour again. <laughs> She's got a lot of them. Mate, there's a lot of Gwen Stacy's. Each Gwen Stacy is their own different coloured headband. No, 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 no. It would just be ridiculous right. for a later writer to say that there was a ton of clones of Gwen Stacy. That would just be stupid, and they would never do that. I'm assuming they did. Yes. What if Norman Osborn slept with a clone? Oh! oh I suppose it'd be a little bit better right. than it being the real Gwen. I could buy that a little bit more. Mm. But it still, it still wouldn't improve. Maybe then the jackal's, the, the jackal's plan really would have been two years in the making then. Oh, I'm not saying that when they wrote this it wasn't planned to be two years, but if it's been two years, why is Peter still being referred to as being a teenager? Yeah. That puts him at the no later than being 19 years of age. Yeah. Which means that he was 17 when Gwen started. Which makes no sense, because to leave American high schools you have to be 18. Yeah. So it just does not work. If you're sitting and reading it like we are, for purposes of a podcast. <laughs> if you're reading it to just have fun with it, you can just go, oh, whatever. Okay, fair enough. The best bit of the issue is, again, the Peter Gwen stuff, which is really quite heartbreaking. And despite what I said in my synopsis, he doesn't spend the night with her. Mm -hmm. But if I can take an opportunity to debunk Sin's past, I will. Because that's just the way it goes. It's actually quite sad. Yeah. And upsetting. Especially with those Mary Jane problems. Yes. I've got 99 problems, but a Gwen ain't one. No, Gwen is one. Yeah, Gwen's all of his problems. That bottom panel? Yes. Um, on page seven. No, of this one. Of oh, I've been changing in the alleyway. Yeah. Didn't they do that as a cover recently, during Straczynski's run? 
They may very well have done, I don't remember. Because his face, the pose and the facial expression. You're saying a modern artist swiped? Yeah. <laughs> so specifically, though. Yeah, I'd have to have a look. Oh, I know the one you mean, yes. Yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. That is very familiar. It's um an early... Isn't it the Nuff... No, it's not the Nuff Said issue. No. It's around, though, though. Yeah. Yeah, Peter Parker with his back to us, the reader, turning, looking over his shoulder as he changes to Spider-Man. You're absolutely right. facial expression as well. Yeah. Did somebody swipe that? Was that a Car Andrews cover? I don't know. I'd have to look that up, right? I think you're absolutely right, yeah. Well spotted, that man. I knew there's a reason I kept you around. <laughs> I know you don't stick around for the money. <laughs> because there isn't any. Uh, the Scorpio makes a play for noted gang boss Santonio's patch. I didn't get this at all, because the Scorpion has never been interested in that kind of thing. He was a private investigator who agreed to have Dr. Farley Stillwell experiment on him because J. Jonah Jameson paid him to do so. Even after grafting his body in the Scorpion suit, Gargan was more interested in get-rich-quick schemes, not taking over the mob scene. Yeah. This was a green goblin scam, not the Scorpion. So I didn't buy that at all. I didn't know why Gargan was interested in it. I like when he's in the garden, though, and the security guard's like... He, he just says, hey, Scorpion, don't you know who owns this place? Just all casually, sup, Scorpion? Well, if you live in the Marvel Universe and you're a bad guy, presumably you've had dealings with costumed villains. Yeah, but just the security guard. Yeah, the security guard doesn't go, oh, wait a minute, the Scorpion's here. In my position as security guard, maybe I should shoot him. No, he just he has a ca- casual has chat. a casual chat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't notice that, but the more you point that out, the more ridiculous it is, yeah. Alright, fair enough. It sure was lucky, wasn't it, that Spider-Man was on the news just as Santonio turned it on to prove to the Scorpion that he was still alive. Yeah. Why was Spider-Man even on the news? What was he doing on the... Se- what has he done recently that's newsworthy? I don't know. I don't. Maybe it's E! News. Spider-Man <laughs> spotted in Paris. Yeah, with Peter Parker. Yeah. Put two and two together, ladies. So, yeah, all right, maybe it's E! News, and they're just <laughs> focusing on his sartorial style. Yeah. Because that's what E! News does. Maybe they're looking at how fat his arse is. <laughs> Isn't that what E! News is interested in? Yeah, how and bad his arse looks in that costume. Yeah, and whether he's had a facelift or a boob job or something. And that costume is so last season. Yeah, and it's not very flattering on his hips and thighs. It's not. Let's be brutally honest. Does it really matter how the jackal found the scorpion? I guess not. Does it not? All right, fair enough. Well, I... I mean, we could go into a whole why did he do this and why did he involve the scorpion, but who cares? Maybe it's because a guy going around in a bright green costume with a big tail isn't that subtle. No, well, he does the same thing with the tarantula later. Why is he involving all these people? And last issue, he involved people. Then you're like, why? What are you doing this for? Why don't you just kill him and be done with it? But, you know. Maybe maybe. it's like the gauntlet in Nightfall. You reckon? Yeah, could be. Alright, fair enough. Uh, how did Matt Gargan's patrol officers not know that Matt Gargan was up to his old tricks? As Peter, as Spider-Man, phones them and tells them the Scorpion did this, I found the money in his apartment. Wouldn't he have been the first suspect, given that it's common knowledge that he's the Scorpion, he took his costume away from him when he left jail, and he robbed a bank in broad daylight? Yeah. Do they not have the expositional news network where they live? Apparently not, no. Oh, gee, the Scorpion just robbed a bank. I wonder if it's Mac Gargan. <laughs> mm, do you think we should search his apartment? This is following on from last time, when the cops couldn't even be bothered dredging the Hudson River for Spider-Man's oh, yeah. body. Maybe it's the same cops. 
Steve they are the, the laziest policemen ever, aren't they? Tag and bink New York policemen. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Tag and bink before they went into a, um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Very good. Uh, more of the plot here makes very little sense. The Jackal seems to want to destroy Spider-Man himself, right? Yeah. That's his all impetus. So, A, why does he send the Scorpion after him at all? Breeze him up a little. B, or two, if he wants Spider-Man dead, why not just tell the Scorpion he's Peter Parker? Especially as Spider-Man deduces that the Jackal knows he's Peter Parker in this very issue. Yeah. Why not just say to him, Spider-Man's Peter Parker, that's his Aunt May, kill her, he'll come after you. Because even though the Jackal's been planning this for two years, he hasn't planned it very well. Well, he can't have been planning it for two years very well, because he just keeps introducing random elements to his plan. Yeah. It makes no sense at all when you read it back Maybe to back like this. to throw Spider-Man off the scent he hasn't got yet. <laughs> Excellent idea. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. Why the hell does Aunt May not drop dead of a heart attack when the scorpion attacks her? That's <laughs> Gwen Stacy's more terrifying yeah. than the scorpion. She sees Gwen Stacy, she has a heart attack in the middle of nowhere. The scorpion actively wants to kill her. <laughs> and she's all like, oh, Peter, another day in the hospital. <laughs> it's a lovely day, Philip. Oh, Lizzie. Maybe it's all the... the, the painkillers she's on <laughs> so she doesn't register that this guy's trying to kill her yeah she's so doped up to the eyeballs alright I'll, I'll go with that one the scorpion's line about you're not giving me a chance is cute as Spider-Man just pounds on him but again we get a Spider-Sense conundrum in Gargan's apartment earlier on Spider-Man's Spider-Sense led him directly to the money in his apartment money that was of no threat to him which yeah. is how his spider sense is supposed to work. Here, the scorpion is a clear and present danger. And yet, apparently, spider sense won't work unless he's practically sat on top of the scorpion. Did that make sense? Yeah. You can say no. No. Excellent. Good. I'm glad we're on the same page. The ending to this issue, with the scorpion being forced to apologise to Aunt May, is cute and funny. And the issue has its moments, but there's just far too many logic gaps in it for you to make it work. The Scorpion doesn't really fit the pattern of his previous characterisations, but as pointed out when we talked about the last issue, he's unimportant to the main narrative. The big plot point here is Peter figuring out the Jackal knows who he is. Yeah, I like that the Jackal was back in it. Yeah, he's been away for quite a bit, hasn't he? Yeah. The Jackal, so he's, he's not really... Uh, not really been playing a part, although if we're to believed, his plan has been unfolding exactly as he is foresaw. Okay. Yeah, I believe that as well. Maybe he's so bad at planning that, he's <laughs> right, it, it is unfolding exactly as he foresaw. <laughs> his plan is so nebulous <laughs> that he's in his mind, he's deluded himself into thinking it's going exactly according to <laughs> yeah. plan, when his plan was clone Gwen, tick. Exactly. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> that was it. That was, that was his entire plan. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't think beyond that point. <laughs> Whatever happens after that is gravy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, did you like this one? And yeah, I like both of them. I thought they were fun and a little bit silly, but fun. I think pretty much sums them up doesn't mm. it? in many ways. I like Crazy Spidey at the end. I do like that he's convincing him that he's a madman and he's going to kill him. Mm. I like that. I was like, yeah. You can be dynamic by building up your body. Marvel superhero stick-ons, 18 for $250. 
Oh, sorry, it's $2.50. <laughs> they forgot to put the um, decimal point in. No, they usually do that with a... The cents is smaller. Do they? Yeah. Right, okay, because I read that as $250, and I was thinking, that's not really a good deal. <laughs> so that's a really good sticker. Yeah, the gold-plated <laughs> stickers. <laughs> Electroman is uh, an advert telling you that you should study electronics. Right, okay. Was that a big thing in the 70s? Could be. I presume so. Evil Knievel Towels. Oh, brilliant. Can I have one? <laughs> I would love an Evil Knievel t- uh, towel. You want to rub your naked body with Evil Knievel? Oh, yeah. I want to rub Evil Knievel's face around my crotch when I'm cleaning myself. <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. The Spider's Web Letters page, again, doesn't have anybody to note. The Origins of Marvel Comics gets another advert, as does the Mighty Marvel Calendar for 1975. Have we already mentioned that one? I think we might have. Or did we mention 74? I don't remember. To be it's honest. been a really short year then. It has, yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the calendar's come out exceptionally early and exceptionally late. I don't know. George Powell, producer of The Time Machine and The War of the Worlds, dropped by Marvel Comics to talk about Doc Savage, Man of Bronze, which many say may be his greatest epic. Didn't quite turn out that way, did it? Although I like the Doc Savage movie. Um, I think it's Doc a lot of Savage fun. end up being DC. Yes, well, Doc Savage was just a licensed character at this point. Marvel owns him. Right. But it's now why Giant Size Spider-Man number three or four or whatever can't be published. Right. Because they don't own the rights to Doc Savage anymore. And, you know, there's the usual stuff. Captain Marvel stars in the Twinkies ad. Because nothing says by hostess Twinkies more than somebody who dies of cancer. <laughs> And uh, that's pretty much it for our- Oh no, there's cool, cool t-shirts. Cool t-shirts. Zap, pow, kazawi. You can buy yourself a Captain America, a Thor, an Incredible Hulk, or an Amazing Spider-Man t-shirt. Only $3.95. They've remembered the decimal point. For man size. <laughs> Giant size man thing t-shirts. Excellent. And $2.50 for boy size. I love the simplicity though of the sizing. Man and boy. Man size and boy size that's it there's only two sizes of clothing (laughs) absolute genius and you can be a fisherman again which I think is uh, is fantastic isn't it yeah you can buy a fishing rod it's lovely it's lovely that uh, comics are promoting that father son activity Uh, from here the story picked up very briefly in giant size Spider-Man issue 5 beware the path of the monster was a team up with Man-Thing I presume you didn't read this Uh, I didn't excellent good there's only a couple of pages devoted to the clone story of Peter ditching MJ to go to Florida to locate Man-Thing and MJ reverting to her party girl persona to hide her disappointment I'm not convinced this story is in the correct place in the trade as Peter asks Betty where Gwen is staying but in Amazing Spider-Man issue 146 Peter walked Gwen home. Gwen also mentions in this that she's lost two years of her life, meaning that the Spider-Man strip is still operating on something like real time since Gwen was killed. It's supremely nitpicky, I know, but again, this doesn't fit in with any established timelines, which is why it's best to not put too much stock in them. We will call it a day, though, next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics. We conclude our look at the 70s clone saga covering as we will Amazing Spider-Man issue 147 48, 49 and 50 as well as looking at the ramifications of this story in Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man oh god knows 25 to 35 or something plus the Evolutionary War annual plus Jerry Conway's attempt to tie it all together one last time 
with his carrying story from Spectacular Spider-Man issue 149. That's a whole lot. A lot of cover next week, yeah. Lots of cover. If we're nothing if not thorough. Okay. Is my thinking. Uh, that's it. Yeah. It's always rather abrupt ending when we just end in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like we should do a tap dance or something. We'll to end, end 30 I guess it'll come off well on the speakers. Yeah, it would totally. This is us tap dancing. There you go. It's very quiet tap dancing. It was, yeah. Well, I've not got my shoes on. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Goodbye. so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show has not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks internet radio network and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name and comics as the surname We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics